Our title for our sermon this morning, I don't have to look back there, The Father's Heart. The Father's Heart. Say it with me, The Father's Heart. You know, um, just as we were discussing the lesson this morning, when in Exodus chapter 32, God says, I'm going to wipe out the people for disobeying me and for building up this gold image. We can often think that, you know what, misunderstand God's heart. That he's trying to wipe out the people he saved from Egypt, right? But as we learnt this morning that there are two issues. They worshipped a God that wasn't God, and then Moses was being tested. And so we can often think in that very moment or in that specific time, man, what a heartless God to go and try and wipe these people out. But God was preparing Moses for the time of the wilderness, because who remembers the complaining and the whining and, and groaning that was happening in the wilderness that Moses had to face? Right? So God prepared Moses just like he would prepare us for such a time to reveal his glory. It's about God and it's about understanding the Father's heart. Say it again with me, the Father's heart. The Father's heart. So first... Oh, it'll help if I turn this on. All right, so Tullian says legalism says God will, uh, God says God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because He loves us. All right, I'll say that one more again, uh, one more time again. It says legalism says God will love us if we change. The gospel says. God will change us because he loves us. And we can often get into that trap of thinking, man, I must get my life in order so that he can love me. That's legalism. Whereas God takes us, if we come as we are to God, his love in us will transform us inside out. What did I do there, Kip? Oh, there we go. So it transforms us inside out. It's an internal before it's external. It's an inside job before it's an outside job. That's how God works with us. Let's go to, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Now, David and his firstborn... This is uh, his firstborn that didn't survive. So if we read there in 2 Samuel. And so in this particular story, we know that, uh, you know, David, you know, commits a crime where he sends his best friend out into the front line of the army. Why? Because he saw a certain woman from the rooftop, you know, wandering around when he should be out in the war with his men. Right? He should have been there in the front lines with his men, but he was out on the rooftop spying on someone. And so he sees this certain woman and realizes, actually, that woman's married. And so he did the deed with the woman and finds out that, you know what, this woman you know, may get pregnant, so I need to cover it up. So he sends message. He sends message to the front lines or to where Uriah was and says, you send him back home so that I can create an opportunity for him to lay with his wife and then make it look like that 
he's the father, right? But Uriah was so loyal, loyal to the cause, loyal to God, and loyal to his men, that he, they had an oath before they went to war, these men. They made an oath that we would not lay with our wives until the war is done. They were so disciplined, so um, loyal, that they were going to put God first before their wives. Happy Father's Day to our fathers. Um, you know, I know we ce- the world celebrates it tomorrow, but I grew up Father's Day. We celebrate that on, on the Saturday, on the Sabbath. And, um, you know, God bless you, our fathers. If we prioritize God in our lives, I tell you what, our marriages, our kids become blessed. Not because we have a higher role than women. No, we work together with our wives. But we have a part to play. We have a part to play as fathers, as men, to prioritize God first in our lives. And so Uriah prioritized God in his life and refused, even under the influence of alcohol, he refused. You know, David tried to get him drunk so that he could trick him into going home, but he refused. That's how loyal Uriah was. Anyways, as the story goes on, in 2 Samuel 12, um, let me just read. 2 Samuel 12, verse 17 and 18. So in 17 and 18, it reads, And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do, he, uh, he may do himself some harm. I'll keep reading to 19. It says, but when David saw that his servant were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead, and David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped and then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Now, this child that was born out of an affair, the word of the Lord came to David that he was going to lose this child and he fasted. He wore sackcloth over him and he fasted on the ground. People tried to get him and come and pick him up off the ground. Hey, man, like, come, your son, he's been born. But he refuses to get up. For seven days, he laid on the ground. For seven days, he was fasting for God, please save my son. Spare his life. And so while the son was alive, David was mourning, and everyone else was fine. But when the sun had passed, everyone else was mourning. But the word says that David got up off the ground, and he went 
to wash himself and anoint himself. And then they said he worshipped God. He worshipped God. And he sat down and he ate. People thought he was mad. Your son is gone. Why haven't you, you know, why aren't you mourning your son now? Let me tell you, my family, David understood the salvation that was coming. David, David understood that, you know what, that child didn't get to see his adulthood, didn't, to go through, didn't get to go through school, but I tell you, he will rise again when the Savior comes back. David understood this, which is why he got up, he worshipped God, and he ate. He understood the Father's heart. He understood the Father's heart. So David and his firstborn. Let's go to David and Absalom. Second Samuel, uh, chapter 14, verse 21. Just stay there. I'll give you a quick run of the story. So this is one of David's other sons. And... Um, David and Absalom, um, they all had a pretty good relationship up until Absalom started to disagree with some of the choices David would make. And so Absalom had the position of standing at the, the king's door or the king's entrance, and all the requests were brought to Absalom. And then Absalom would go to the king and would tell them all these requests. But the, the Bible says that Absalom would quietly tell him, man, if my father, if he had just acted, if he would just deal with this stuff, the people would be hopeful, the kingdom would be better. So Absalom started to have his own ideas of how the kingdom should be run. And so he started to spread word quietly under his father's rule, to say, you know, if I were in charge, this wouldn't have happened. If I was to take that, that seat, if I was to take that seat, I would run it better. The Bible tells us that there was a certain archangel who wanted God's job, who thought he could run it better. He thought that, you know, God was unfair, that he wasn't a God of love. But I tell you that certain angel misunderstood the Father's heart. Misunderstood the Father's heart. And so Absalom is misunderstanding his father's rule, and so he begins to spread rumor, begins to spread lies or promises that he could fulfill that his father couldn't fulfill. So then they begin to break out in war against each other. And David gets angry and he kicks him out of the house. Right? He gets so angry that his own son, his own blood is coming up against him. And so he kicks him out of the house. Right? And so at this time, Absalom had already convinced people to follow him. Had already convinced that, you know what? Follow me, and I'll show you a better kingdom. And I'll admit, I'll admit there have been times with my own father. You probably know a lot about my father now, 
because I keep sharing about him, but I know there were times when, with my own father, when he would advise me and counsel me, I think I, knew, I thought I knew better. He's like, son, you know, don't go and hang out with those smokers. You'll become one. And I was like, Dad, you don't know me. I, I got my own. I hold myself. You know what? Eventually I became one. Hard times came around. It was, I could abstain from it in the good times, but when hard times came around, it was the first thing I turned to. And then I think back, man, had I, had I listened to my father's counsel, had I listened to his advice, and I, I didn't learn straight away, even up until my teens, I thought I knew I had it, but I, I, can, I can give you countless lessons that I had to reflect back and go, man, my father was right. And so here you have a story of a father and son who are against each other. And so Absalom gets kicked out. And so chapter 14, verse 21, I'll just read that one out for you. Chapter 14, verse 21 says, Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go bring back the young man Absalom. So David's finally come to himself, but before he comes to himself, he was real quite. He was quite angry. He was quite hard-hearted about this 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 part about his son going up against him, and so Joab is one of his um, you know close men, and Joab was like he was a bit afraid. You know he doesn't know what kind of frame of mind the the king is in, so he sends an innocent woman. Into to talk to the king, but he makes up a story. He says to this innocent woman, Joab, he says to this innocent woman, woman, look, go into the king, into the king's court, and act as if you're grieving. And here's what you're going to tell the king. Tell the king that you lost. You had two sons who were fighting over the wealth of the father, and one son killed that, uh, the brother, and you don't know what to do. And so she goes into the king's court, tells King David this story. And King David, already feeling the way he felt, he said, bring me, to the, bring me this boy that has killed his brother, and I'll put him to death. And then the, the, the woman goes, yes, thank you, king, for your answer. But if you kill this son, if you get rid of this son, who will the riches of my father go to? It'll go to someone else. His family name will, will stop here. Because family name was everything. Right? And then she puts it back on, on King David. King David, I know of the lesson. I know of your, you know, your, your conflict with your own son. Do we not know a God that forgives? And all of a sudden... David is being recounted back or reflecting back on how God forgave him for the affair. How God forgave him for all the things that he acted out of line. And God said to him, you are a man of after my own heart. You are a man after my own heart. So King David had to be reminded of the father's heart. Sometimes we need reminder, don't we? Sometimes we need a reminder. Turn to the person behind you. Tell him, hey, he's talking to you. We need reminding.
oh, to me. <laughs> and, so, and so this woman reminds David of God's forgiveness. This woman reminds King David of God's forgiveness. And then he says here in verse 21, you know what, Joab, go and get my son. Bring him back to me alive. I want to see my son. All right? I want to see my son. And as story has it, in 2 Samuel chapter 18, uh, 18 verse 33. Uh, can you read that with me? One, two, three. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he, as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The story has it that they go out to get Absalom. Absalom is riding a mule or a donkey. And this donkey, you know, is going through the forest or the, or the bush. And Absalom's neck gets caught in one of the trees. And one of the guards find him, but don't, he's afraid to touch or to take Absalom's life. And so he leaves him and comes back and tells one of the commanders at the time, he says, um, look, I found him, but I didn't want to touch him. And this commander was angry with, the, um, with this guy because he didn't take um, Absalom's life. And so the commander takes it upon his own hands to go and end Absalom's life. But David, David cried. Why? Because he cried. He, he didn't get the chance. He didn't get the chance to make right what was wrong in the first place or to reconnect what had been severed in the first place. And so we get two pictures of two sons. One died at birth. David gets up from the ground, worships God, and he eats. The other son, he dies by someone else's hands. But he died out of favor with God. He died out of the city gates. He died outside of the home. And so David is brokenhearted that that was an opportunity for him to bring his son back to have him to, to see his son in that second coming of Jesus. But because that wasn't made right, it was robbed from him to make right what was wrong in the first place. Do our hearts yearn for the salvation of people around us while we can still do something about it. Just as David cried and mourned the death of Absalom. Yes, his son went up against him. Yes, his son um, intentionally deceived people to follow him. But do we yearn enough in our hearts for the salvation of others while we still have the chance to, to make a difference? We have that in us. Read with me in 33, 1833. 
The king was shaken, and he went up into the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Love is showing. Love is best showing when you lay down one's life for another. Jesus showed that example to us. He has the greatest example. But when we serve each other, we're doing that same thing. When we love each other and forgive each other, we're doing the same thing. We're laying down our lives so that someone else may experience the grace and free salvation of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Charles Spurgeon says, Consider what we owe to his immutability. So his unchanging ways, he doesn't change, God doesn't change. So consider what we owe to his immutability. Though we have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. Consider what we owe to his immutability. Though we have changed a thousand times, he has not changed once. The, God, the, the, the Father we serve, the God we serve, His love is unchanging. His love is unchanging. Now brings us to our main text. If you can read that, uh, read with me. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 39. And it says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depth, nor anything else in the all creation, we will be able to be separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Not human being, not supernatural power, not government, not decrees or mandates. Nothing can separate us from that love. My family, we will face some tough times. We will, the world will get worse. But we must smile and hang on to the hope of God because he is always good. He hasn't changed once. He is always good. I'll finish on this last quote, one of my favorite quotes by Napoleon, one of the probably worst emperors you'd find, but um, he says this, Alexander, talking of Alexander the Great, Caesar, now you've got 12 Caesars who ruled Rome, and Charlemagne, and I have founded empires but on what did we rest to the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Millions of men would die for him. And this is an emperor who's talking about men 
and a nation that he had charge over. Do you still find people who follow after him? Do you still find people who follow after Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne? They've been forgotten. But today, we still have millions following Christ. Why? Because his kingdom is based on what? Love. Love. So, happy Father's Day to our Father. And happy Father's to all our fathers. And so the hope in all of this, the hope in all of this for us is that we are his children. And he is our Father. Stand with me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you continue to remind us, Lord Father, of the kind of love that you have, Lord Father. That you remind us that you are love. And so, Father, I pray that you bless everyone here, Lord Father. Even those that couldn't be here today, Lord Father, I ask that you bless them. That you bless them, Lord Father, and that you remind them of the free grace that you continue to offer them. The free salvation that is made available through Jesus Christ, Lord Father. So that when we do lose someone who has in the presence of Jesus, we, do, we may mourn, but we mourn with hope. Because we will see them again on that coming day. But Lord Father, in, install in us, Lord Father, hearts that will yearn for the salvation of the others. That will yearn, Lord Father, for the lost. That will yearn for those that do not know Christ. Instill in us, Lord Father, that heart so that your kingdom may come sooner. I pray, Lord Father, please, may your mercy be upon us as well as your Holy Spirit. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.